Want to cut cooling bills without cutting comfort? Lower utility costs and enjoy cool and consistent comfort with a highly efficient air conditioner from Luxair. With Luxair's consumer rebate program, educators, nurses, first responders, military personnel, and veterans can enjoy exclusive rebates on qualifying purchases of Luxair equipment. To learn more, call Chris Brewer at Affordable Heat and Air, 317-656-7945. They'll recommend a system tailored to your home that provides comfort, energy savings, and lasting performance. This is Trackside with Kurt Cavan and Kevin Lee on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Rosa Quist, Pelot, Power to Award, and Dixon, the top five. Back to Jay Query. Alex Pelot is doing everything he can to take that lead. Tries to go to the inside of Felix Rosenquist, and Rosenquist and Pelot. Rosenquist got shut out just a little bit. Put Alex Pelot to the lead at Laguna Seca. He got a really good run off of turn number 10, Jake, and off of turn number 11 as well. They get to the start-finish line. It's a side-by-side drag race up the hill. Looks like Alex Pelot is going to grab the spot, and here comes Eilat to the high side. And Callum Eilat will try to fight his way back, but too late. Alex Pelot has made that move and already gapped himself by two car lengths. Just a matter of time before the 2023 champ was able to get around. Few drivers are ever better at waiting for a race to come to them than Scott Dixon. And in the craziest of circumstances today, that's exactly what happened. Mark James helped bring home the Kiwi up turn number 11. His 56th career win will be his third in the last four races. The advance auto park checkered flag flies and Scott Dixon goes to victory lane. He closes out the season by winning the Firestone Grand Prix of Monterey. You know that you're never out of it, that's for sure. Uh, it was definitely a, a mixed emotions day. You know, we, we started the morning pretty rough, uh, had to do, you know, an engine change and then got a grid penalty with that and got caught up in that mess at the start. I don't know what I could have done different there. You know, I was just trying to drive straight. Car was off track, coming back on, we made contact. I didn't think, you know, it was uh, warranted definitely of a drive through, maybe to give a spot up or something, but um, it's what it is. But uh, big day for the team, obviously uh, celebrating a one-two finish uh, in the championship and congrats to, to Alex and everybody involved. Uh, a big thank you to, to Honda. You know, the fuel mileage, as always, is, uh, is a nice little thing that you can put in your back pocket and, uh, you know, pull through like we did there. But, uh, yeah, definitely a mess of a day, man. Twenty twenty three is done. It's time to start looking ahead to twenty twenty four. Hello, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Trackside 93.5-1075 the fan in Indianapolis via podcast from all the usual outlets. Even if you listen live, go ahead and download. That uh, probably helps something as far as the numbers are concerned. Increases the chances that we get to continue doing this, and we do throughout the off season. We'll be here generally on Tuesdays. Once we get into Pacer season, you'll want to check your local listings, like social media, or check the end of the show from the previous week if we bounce around a little bit. Uh, If the Pacers are playing, we would either be Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, things like that. A couple of weeks off for Christmas, and that's it. Highlights, courtesy of IndyCar Radio, NBC, from the Firestone Grand Prix of Monterey at WeatherTech Raceway Laguna Seca on Sunday afternoon. Ho-hum, Scott Dixon goes to the back, wins yet again. Alex Pillow, uh is officially celebrated as the champion. And we have racing this weekend at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the battle on the bricks. So if you miss us already, many of us will be back on your television this weekend. Sunday at 1 o'clock on NBC for a two-hour and 40-minute race with a lot of IndyCar teams. In the sports car world, Saturday Michelin Pilot Challenge on Peacock. 
That's a finishing at nighttime. 4.30 is when that starts on Peacock over at about 8.30. And then we'll talk more later on. But just a quick reminder, the Battle on the Bricks prelude at Prime 47 on Thursday night from 6 until 9, brought to you in part by Hoover Holt Turner, Stanton Racing Engines, Long's Wholesale Furniture, and Putnam Park. Several drivers have told me they are coming. Cool auction items. More on that later. Kurt, hello. How are you? Welcome. Why well, you tell everyone our names. I'm Kevin Lee. That's Kurt Cavan. Eddie Garrison is in our studio. Well, I'm glad you got all that through. And you talked about us continuing. I just was thinking this is completing our 16th season of Trackside following an IndyCar season. So we've been at it a long time. We've uh, snookered them to, to uh, make them think that we add productive content to these airwaves. And we will continue uh, at least until, you know, we're tired of talking about it. Until they tell us not. And the key card doesn't work. Well, the key card may not work at some point. I'm just going to have to accept that. We'll park on the circle, get a parking ticket, submit it to to payroll, and and we'll be just fine. But, yeah, it was um, a wacky kind of deal in in, uh, Laguna Seca in Monterey, California. But there are worse places to be. And so, you know, we don't have many races where we have a fog delay to start the day. But we've had fog delays the last couple of days in Monterey. And and uh, as you said, Scott Dixon wins another race, 56 now. And and think about this. He's now within 11 race wins of a record set by A.J. Foyt that I thought would never be broken. I just when A.J. Foyt had 15 more race wins than second place, Mario Andretti, I just thought that would never fall. And now Dixon is at least within striking distance. He's won three races in a season like nine or 10 times in his career. So you could imagine that he might still do that once or twice more in his career, you know, and you get into single digits and anything's possible. He could uh, really make a go of it. So pretty interesting stuff, a lot to get to tonight. And I would expect that uh, if we can just understand how the race happened, that might take two hours. Good luck with that. Yeah. Good luck with that. Good luck with that. Um, so what do we make of what this race was? You know, I, I know everyone had the jokes. We're going to Nashville next year, so we're just getting ready for that. That's a good uh, one. Now, that's a good one. Yeah, I, that, that's not my original. Uh, many people thought that. Well, we all thought that. I guess maybe it was original, but uh, we all were thinking that at the time. I think going in, we have a fear with this race, especially with the championship already decided that, ooh, this is going to be a rough show because you can't pass there very easily. But then the general consensus was, uh, especially after we saw the the test day, it started with Thursday with 11 red flags, a couple of significant crashes. Then it was, okay, I'm not the one paying for the crash damage, so maybe I'm rooting for chaos. Because the other scenario, if it was last year's pave, and no championship in play, that might have been a tough watch. It would have been though for those of us that are hardcore IndyCar fans that just want to see another race, but there would not have been an action, a lot of action. And we had plenty of action in this. So really somewhere in between is what we would like. But I think I'd still choose chaos over the parade, which is what we often have at Laguna Seca. Well, you know, it was interesting about the whole setup to your point about you know, what we saw on the test day on Thursday, which would, by the way, it was rare to have a test day. 
uh, on the front end of a, a race weekend, but we've done it the last couple of years at Monterey kind of keeps, keeps the prices down from teams going out there two weeks in advance or three weeks in advance or making a big second trip to, to the West coast. But, you know, we got to see some cars have some issues and I don't know whether it was a function of, you know, a new pavement, which means higher speeds, you're going into corners quicker than you did the year before. Maybe you will adjust in, in 2024 because, you know, you will have learned some things and so forth. Or was it a case maybe of just being offline a little bit was that's not it. as grippy? I, I mean, it. I think that's that's largely it. But the combination of the two certainly had uh, had made us step up and, and sit up and, and watch this thing with, with great interest. And, you know, the other thing is, you know, with the championship, you know, secure. I don't know what that really had in play because I think you had guys going for, there were a lot of people and we're going to get into this, but there were a lot of people with a lot of things in play. We're going to talk about the leader circle program and how the cutoff line on that was a big deal to teams trying to get money for next year. And you had things like at team Penske, you had Joseph Newgarden and Scott McLaughlin who both wanted to be the top dog at team Penske by year's end. And they were probably, you know, at least internally uh, having, you know, that competition front and center. And then you you just had other drivers trying to prove things. Roman Grosjean comes to mind. You know, he's leaving Andretti and and he doesn't have, at least we don't know of what he's got lined up for next year. And maybe he's a little more aggressive than usual. And, you know, he had a rookie of the year battle that was at least kind of fun to watch. Didn't turn out to be much, but it at least was fun to watch. So there, I think there were just a lot of things in play besides a champion. Yeah, the reason for all the offs would namely be that, and Scott McLaughlin in the press conference end of day, either Friday or Saturday, said it's like train tracks, meaning when you're online, it's great. It sticks to the ground. It's fast. It's fun. But there's no rubber offline, and that makes it slick. And the white line apparently is even worse. And a lot of people thought it would get better by the time you got to race day, but obviously it was still kind of slick on race day. I don't know on race day if that was all just being slick. Mostly it was then the second part that you said, the overaggression. Championship is decided because I, I do think that everyone is cognizant in the last race of the year, even the last few races of the year, they want to be aggressive and finish on a high note, get what they can, but no one wants to impact the championship with their mistake. They don't want to take out someone that has a chance at the championship. We didn't have to worry about that. First and second were locked in. It was everything else that was in play. And then you have people that already know they're not being invited back where they're at right now. Uh, so they're going after it. People trying to impress, as you said one last time. And, you know, and then you get dirt on the track uh, in some cases that added to it. 27 cars is, you know, five more than we used to traditionally have three to five more than we have had in, in many years. So that creates some different situations there. So it was the slickness coming in. And then I just think the over aggression in the race and, and restarts, you know, restarts create chaos and, all of a sudden, somebody has picked up eight spots, and you're up. You started last, and you're now 18th, and you're thinking, hey, if I do the same thing again, I might get a top five out of this. And things like that did happen. Yeah, it did. It did happen. And, and 
you know, when you have restarts after restarts, that can happen at any track, you know, start to have trouble because you got cars backed up, you know, and bunched together and, and you know, the speed of the restarts. So there, you know, there's a lot of factors in play and we saw a lot of, a lot of uh, damage on restarts. So, you know, that, that was an element certainly to it. And, and I think, you know, to the point about people, you know, sort of knowing where they're going or, or more importantly, where they're not going to be in 2024 relative to the teams they are currently driving for the, I counted up of the top 30 in points, driver points, I think 10 of them, 10 of those drivers. Now, a couple of them aren't with the teams that they were with anymore, but 10 of the 30 cars are not going to have those drivers back in those seats next year. So I think it was a it was a it was a higher number than usual. And, you know, some of that is is Simon Pagino, who didn't race. Some of that is is Connor Daly, who didn't race. But, you know, from and I'm not throwing these guys into, you know, over aggression, but Grosjean, Malukas, you know, Rosenquist, um, you know, they're just several Devlin Devlin Francesco. Uh, there, you know, there's a, there's a few others, um, LAO, um, you know, there, there were Ryan Hunter Ray. So you, you put it all together and it's just a, I felt like it was an unusual circumstance with new paving with championship decided with it being slick offline and a lot of people in the, I don't give a care moment and I'm just going to go for it. And then on the other side of the championship, there was a give a care because of the race for the leaders circle that we'll get to later on. I think we should start with the top and how Dixon won the race again. So I spent some time as the venting board for Emma Dixon after Scott received the penalty because I was standing nearby and I couldn't really hear what Emma was saying. Uh, but, you know, you've seen her posts on social media before, so you have a sense of what she was saying. I was hearing what Scott was saying, and we played a little bit of that, and I relayed a, a little bit of that. I don't know what's a penalty. I'm not qualified to do that. There were a lot of them, you know, and I wonder if race control decided, hey, you all have been complaining all year, so we're just called penalties on everything this time around. Dixon's was odd. Now, Dixon looks like i can't tell if he got touched from behind and that sent him into a wiggle or if he just lost control we don't penalties are not supposed to be judged on intent i don't believe uh and you are required to main control of your car but my recollection has been when someone just wiggles like that you usually don't see a penalty called and that's sort of what happened with Dixon. So maybe that's his biggest beef on that situation because he just lost control either on his own because it was slick or because he had been moved a few yards before that. But that's how he slid over into Renus VK. Um, and then I, you know, we, we don't have a long enough show to go through the other 16 penalties. Funny you should say that. I think there were 18 penalties and about 10 of them were for avoidable contact. So that means they laid blame on somebody for something that happened to someone. And I think, you know, I hear you on the wiggle and it creates content or contact. But when contact is detrimental to the other party and and the other party, clearly, in this case, Renus VK, I don't see any fault with what he did. So when that happens, 
whatever the reason, there's a penalty usually. Uh, I think that's kind of the thing, you know, yeah, intent is not supposed to be part of it. That's right. You're responsible for controlling your car. And if it hurts someone else, you could argue then. And it's too hard to get into intent. So let's just look at results. Well, I think sometimes I can't you think of anything I'd want to do less than be an official in anything. I actually uh, out of college had taken a class in college about officiating class and and therefore did it for quite a while a couple three years and it was very difficult uh you know in this case you had emma dixon i had parents and so that that was i I'd, I'd much rather talk to emma dixon yeah that's true uh yeah. but in in this case you know you think about sometimes you know just because you created the content or contact i don't know why content is such a word for me tonight but you know, in the case of Scott McLaughlin running into the back of Benjamin Peterson and causing Peterson trouble, there wasn't a penalty there, as I recall, because it was pretty clear that Peterson had issues right in front of yeah. Scott McLaughlin. Yeah. But Scott McLaughlin probably had the same situation with Santino Ferrucci. The restart happens and and same Santino gets bogged down just a little bit and therefore something happens in front of McLaughlin. He runs into the back of of Santino Ferrucci and Ferrucci goes for a ride like very few we've seen in this sport <laughs> in the last few years and he is riding that bull down the front straightaway and how he kept control is is uh really a testament to how good these drivers are, but, or maybe lucky in some cases, but, but, you know, McLaughlin gets a penalty for that. So, you know, some things that it's easier to call than others. Um, McLaughlin had two pretty similar instances in, in which somebody in front of him had some sort of an issue. He runs in the back of one time he gets a penalty. The other time he didn't. So at least the way that's the way I saw it. So, it's a it's a tough game to be in race control. I've been there. I I watched them discuss it uh, between the two drivers, former drivers, Ari Lyon Dyke and Max Pappas. And at some point, the race director will say to them, "I have to have a decision." And and sometimes they they don't really have a conclusion because it's it's difficult to tell. There seems to be a lot of anger, and I've seen some on the record quotes from different drivers. And one thing I wonder about is that. Um, some of this is the product of the end of the season. That's Everybody's right. Everybody's frustrated at this point because, you know, they're thinking, as I would too, this happened to me in this circumstance and you didn't call a penalty on that guy. Why are you calling me on one in this case? And you can go to other circumstances over the year as well. Um, so it's a, a lot of built up frustration at this point because ultimately there's one driver that's fully satisfied with this season. His name is Alex Pillow. Scott Dixon had a great season. Joseph Newgarden had a great season, among others. But they're not happy because they didn't win the championship. You know, you could say, well, Joseph Newgarden should be really happy, and, and he should be, but he doesn't look really happy right now just because he won the Indy 500. He wanted to win races at the end of the season, and he looked worn down and beat uh, and really frustrated towards the end of the season. Not, you know, s similar to, uh, you know, I, I know he took a lot of flack for his, 
victory lane interview at Iowa and so forth. Not in that circumstance. He wasn't gruff with anyone. I didn't see him snapping anyone over the last month or so. He just looks a little bit run down. And I think everybody is. Uh, while most of us, myself included, would love for the season to continue, especially fans, for drivers, they're probably ready for a little break. Now, you give them this weekend off, everybody would, I think, be ready to go coming up in a couple of weeks. And some of them are going to be continuing because uh, testing starts tomorrow in some cases. Well, we have Linus Lundquist and Marcus Armstrong at Texas Motor Speedway doing their oval test. And then basically Penske and Ganassi with one car apiece are going to be testing the hybrid somewhere all the time. I'm trying to remember where everyone is going. I believe they're going to Gateway. And then they're going to Road America. And then there's a Sebring test coming up. So I've not seen any kind of schedule. I just heard a lot of people saying, yep, we're going to be really busy. And it'll be the Penske and Ganassi drivers. And you say, well, why do they do it? Well, Honda picked one, Chevy picked one. And they only have one car apiece. Eventually, they're going to get a second car. And then McLaren and Andretti get involved and so on down the line. So... You got you got three or four months here to to kind of get everybody lined up, but the quist has already got you. It's not Linus Lundquist at Texas. Who did I say? It's Tom Blumquist at Texas. Oh, because Linus already has done his rookie yes. test. No, I wasn't confused on the quist. I actually thought Linus was testing there. That's okay. You're right. It, it is it is Tom Tom Blumquist. Yeah, because oh. Tom has not done an oval yet. So we got Tom a lot of Marcus have not done an oval. Didn't somebody on our broadcast say the quest for the quist or something like that over the weekend? <laughs> you know, it's and we're going to make fun of it and joke about it. There was a great uh, Nick Yeoman from the radio network had a great artwork the other day. How many Scots we have. Did you see yeah. that? And and how many quist we have and how many Swedes we have. And it's like we've got these in pairs of two and uh, how many Kiwis we have and you know, it's just it's it's all in good fun. We're going to have to I've caught myself a couple times already. OK, is it Lundquist I'm going to write about or or Blumquist or Rosenquist? You know, just they kind of from I a name struggle the heart with, with Lundquist to Lungard. Yeah, that's difficult. Differentiating them. And that for me goes back three years because I was the only one in the IndyCar broadcast world that knew who Linus Lundquist was and had the challenge of. Because I've confused him on this show before. The others, they you know, they're not following anyone that's not an IndyCar, so they didn't have that. Well, now they have that as well, so we'll all get in into that. So, um, well, let's get back to Dixon for a second. You know, I I I get the frustration in their pit box, and if it was me, I'm sure I would have been just as angry in that situation when everybody's hitting everyone. How are you calling a penalty on us? But they did. And it probably turned out, and and I think I actually said this on the air really early on, as did others, eh, he might still win. Wouldn't surprise us. Forced him to get off strategy. He had probably moved up to something like fifth or sixth with others like Newgarden and McLaughlin and Loongard up front being involved in the first kerfuffle. So he was already moving forward. But it's hard to pass four more people straight out. Maybe he could have, but doing it the way he did, and then once you saw it was going to be a fuel-saving race, it was, yep, I know who's winning. You know, it's it's interesting because 
we are we're going to answer on our own question here in how did he get it done and he's scott dixon and he is the master of fuel saving and you know even if others were put in a similar situation we don't think you know they could make it and some years it's well, Chevy might be able to do that, but this year a Honda is the one that's going to make better fuel mileage. And and we can go through that exercise. You know, really, it always comes back to Scott Dixon being the one who can do it. But doesn't it make you think that we talk about, you know, the probability of strategies working out and we spend a lot of time, you know, is this going to be a three stop or a four stop race or a two stop and a three, which is it going to be and which tires you Shouldn't we just be thinking about maybe there's an outside the box way to win this race? Because it seems like about five times over the last six or seven years, a strategy that we haven't thought of, Dixon and Mike Hall make it work. And and maybe maybe there's somebody in the back who can't win a race that needs to think like that. But it still comes down to circumstances and the smart play at the time. And you're not going to do what they did if you're leading the race. That would no, I think, go against against the grain too much. You can't even plan for what you'd want to do. And and certainly it turned out to be enough yellow to do it on two stops. But it's based on the timing of those cautions. Uh, because you only needed, the Hondas only needed, I think Mike Hall told me before the race, 22, 24 laps to where they could maybe do it on two. Marty mentioned 30. I'm sure that was from a Chevy team is what they needed in that case. And it's kind of a ballpark thing, but it's it's when they come is what matters. And you cannot plan ahead for that. So you've got to have plan A through F. Well, except Scott Dixon's but yeah, done this. Yeah, you're right. Doing it differently makes sense. If it, if you can't, especially in this circumstance, if, if you're not running for the championship, do something different. But even with that, you got to be fast. You know, Agreed. if you're a 15th place car, even as hard as it is to pass at Laguna Seca, you cycle up to the front, eh, it's not doing a whole lot for you. So I'm thinking about, like, why a Marcus Armstrong, in this particular case, the fourth car at Ganassi, why don't they do something just crazy every race? Because Marcus Armstrong, as good as he is or might be in the future, he is not going to, on pace... And this is just an example. I'm not singling him out. It's just somebody who's top of mind. But he's not going to beat Erickson and Pelot and Dixon most of the time on pace. So why don't they just kind of just roll the roll the dice with a car that's going to be quick and they're really good on thinking through strategy and they know that's a kind of a top 8 to 10 car? Why don't they do that more often? I hear you. I wouldn't choose Armstrong. I, it was just a... It was just a person. Maybe someone, someone like Devlin, you know, in a fourth car van. Because Armstrong, at times, has been close to those, and this is his first season. So I, I do think there is value in Marcus Armstrong finishing seventh and sixth, sure, and fifth. Agreed. Remember, they tried something different at Road America when they were going to finish, and they they tried that once. And that did not go well. He finished 20-something when he should have finished fifth. And in this case, he was going to finish second before he got hit. He was, I think he was ahead of Dixon. He was. Late he in was. the race. And he was one of the three or four that was not going to need to stop again with the way the yellows. And then he got turned around and he falls back into the teens and, and races back up to eight. But 
Yeah, I, I can see that with a multi-car team. Um, but then you, you know, you got to answer to that team. And yeah. that team and their sponsors or whoever's paying for it is going to ask, well, wait a minute. We could have finished ninth, which might have been our best finish of the season, and we're 23rd. So that doesn't go over well. So you, you've got to just make the best decisions with some other things factored in. Like, And I, and I think that's part of the discussion ahead of time that the driver is included in on or anyone that's a stakeholder. Hey, if we have an opportunity, do you want to gamble big and go for something? And you know, if all are on board, then you do that. Dale Coyne is great about doing those things. You know, yeah. He's the one that does that. Uh, and that's how Carlos Huertas has an IndyCar win. And uh, he's done that with others over the years to just to do something different than what everyone else has done. And it's not just being wildly gambling. Sometimes it's just that Dale is pretty smart on strategy, too. Yeah, no, I know. I, I wanted to, you know, as we got to that point in the conversation, I just wonder why why people don't roll the dice you know, especially when they can't win it on outright pace. And I think about a Dale Coyne, that was really the first two drivers that I thought about. I'm not sure that Grosjean in, in his time with Dale Coyne would have wanted to do that, but maybe Malukas would on a on a road course, you know, where maybe he mm-hmm. wasn't going to be a top five car. But really interesting stuff. You know, it's interesting. You know, we talked about three st- strategies or f- three-stop strategies in this race, and that's what won the race with Dixon. But Pelot did it on two stops. You know, he finished third. Canapino, or excuse me, Mark uh, Calamilot actually had six stops. So, you know, it just was all over the board in terms of, uh, of, of how many stops turned out to be the right play. And I think we could ultimately say that, that um, you know, you just do what you got to do. Christian Lingard made five stops. Will Power made four. So it wasn't like there was any consistent uh, pattern to – to how drivers attack this particular race. They did what they had to do. And some of them got, you know, called for penalties and still made it back to the front, but that's what made it fun. We'll look at the rest of the box score in a moment. I'm going to ask Kurt who did not have contact. (laughs) We can, we can go through. I got one. I got one. Okay. So we'll do that coming up in just a moment. Some of your Twitter questions via X at Kevin Lee, 23 at Kurt Cavan. It's trackside 93, five, one Oh seven, five, the fan. Hi, this is Scott Dixon, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. The NTT IndyCar Series season is complete, but there's plenty to discuss over the wintertime. We've still got open seats we'll get into, and much more. A couple of sports car races on the way, including one at Indianapolis Motor Speedway this weekend. Thanks for staying with us, Kevin Lee, Kirk Cavan, Eddie Garrison, uh, continuing to talk about the Firestone Grand Prix of Monterey at Laguna Seca this past weekend. So Dixon gets the win. They are in the right place at the right time, make their own breaks, out-strategize everyone. He's fast. And then you look at the people behind him, and I think – so Pelot's the only one in at least the top six that had a straightforward day, right? Because McLaughlin and Power, second and fourth, both had penalties. Both were involved in multiple contacts. Callum Eilat was involved in multiple contacts, started 20th, went back to the back again, another point, spun on pit lane. Uh, he finishes fifth. Lungard had a penalty, finishes sixth. Rossi's air jack didn't work. They had to do that manually. Had to lose 15 seconds on pit lane one time. 
maybe 10, but a significant amount, and then air jack the next time. So those are the top seven in this race. Armstrong, I mentioned, finished eighth. He had contact. Did Polo have any dramas? You mean Pato? No, Polo. Or, uh, oh, uh, Polo oh, you third skipped before over. we get to Pato. Yeah, we're, uh, we'll go to Pato next. So I'm not sure. Yes, yes, he did have contact. Somebody hit him in the back, if you remember. Yes, I do remember them talking about that. So yeah. I, it was it was pretty slight, but Pelo actually had contact. I was starting to wonder if Pato had contact. He had it in was it the warm up on Sunday or did he have that on Saturday? I guess he had that on Saturday. He he crashed on uh, in practice on Saturday morning. Uh, so that not super heavy, but he was because I remember talking to him outside the care center and and when I walked up to him, he said, "What time is qualifying?" And I looked, you know, and oh, it's three hours away, and it's okay, I'm fine. I'm fine. They'll be ready in plenty of time. Pato's issue, and he, I don't recall if he was involved in any contact. I think I read maybe Nathan Brown of the Star Count this up. There were something like six or seven cars that didn't have any significant incidents. But Pato needed to pit. I don't have the last pit stops in front of me here, but I remember he had come in whatever six seven eight laps before dixon maybe it was less than that maybe it was it seems like dixon pitted on 64 and Pato was a few laps before and it was surely he's not going to make it and they kept running into each other and then it was oh he's probably going to make it and then marty snyder mentioned he has not done the red tire requirement yet they were saving reds for their last stint so he had gotten to a point on fuel where I think he was going to make it, but he had to stop because he had not run the red tire. Pato Award might have won the race, and he finished ninth. So Pato's last pit stop, I called up the lap pit the pit stop summary, and his last stop was on seventy six. No, what so about the one before that? It was on fifty seven. Fifty seven. So, okay. So he, you know, he needed to make that stop for the tires, as you pointed out. Um, the one guy that if, if we're looking, cause if you go down just, I don't know if we're done with Pato, but if you go down through the box score, Ryan Hunter Ray had contact, Rojan had contact. The one driver that came to my mind first was Stingray Rob. I'm not sure Stingray had any contact and it, it turned out to be his best finish of the season in 12th. Um, Augustine Canapino was in position for, he was running third at one point. He got to second. He got to second. He got to second. And, I mean, I guess we need to discuss this. I don't know how prevalent it is. You know, I, I, I'm i not seeing the hate, but I don't know how to go on and see what messages Callum Eilat is getting. But um, I don't know the level of it. If it's significant, that's becoming concerning because it sure looked to me like Eilat passed his teammate, and then Canapino lost a little bit of control and actually came over and hit his teammate. Looked like Canapino hit him, and that damaged his front wing, and unfortunately that took a good result away. And I love it that sports fans are very passionate, but it gets to be a little bit frightening sometimes with their level of passion. And sure, since there were statements made, it sure sounds like it went a little bit above and beyond that. Well, and I don't I don't mean to to say this any other way, but when you have 
you just don't know across the globe. I don't know where this came from. I don't know if it was somebody that sent him that sent Callum these notes or spoke of Callum in a bad way. If they're from Chicago, Illinois or Buenos Aires, you know, I don't know where it comes from, but you know, the world's a big place with people in different situations. And, and, you know, you have two, you know, non us drivers. I mean, it's, it's just difficult to understand the mix that might be in play or the emotions that might be in play. We can speak to it as Americans and we generally know how Americans is doesn't mean that we're not capable of this as well. Yeah. It's we just, see Americans post a lot of dumb stuff too. So yeah, pointing uh, fingers at everyone else, but, but we, you know, we just don't know everyone's situation and how invested in, and how passionate they are about their, their driver and their, and their sport. But uh, it's certainly uncalled for, and I feel for Callum's situation. Uh, the reality is they seem to get along pretty well, and both of those guys are guys you'd want to be teammates with, at least at least from the perception that I've been able to, to draw from. And, you know, as you said, it, in this case, it kind of looked like to me it was more on Canapino than, than I lot, but they had a little contact, and... I hadn't thought about this being a problem, you know, the hate mail early, but I forgot that early in the season we had had this same situation. And so it, you know, bubbles back up to the top. And, and uh, when I saw the statements that were made by the, you know, the team and and the driver and so forth, I was like, Oh, here we go again. I I, I sure wish Callum didn't have to go through this. Um, Others to mention Ryan Hunter Ray has, the second best finish of the season for the number 20 car. Connor finished eighth at the 500, and Ryan finished 10th in this race by staying out of trouble and actually was running up front, but didn't get the, the caution at the exact right time to help him. You mentioned Stingray Rob, stayed out of trouble, finished 12th. Great for him. In that circumstance, Grosjean took the lead for a little while, but was well short on fuel and had to bail out on that. Uh, I felt bad for how it Ended for Elio as for a non-Indy 500 driver. That was that was rough, uh, spinning as many times as he did and being involved in in a lot of things. But he finishes 13th, which is like his second or third best finish of what's been a frustrating season. Who else? Uh, you you mentioned Benjamin Peterson, who had a decent day going, wiggled one time, got hit from behind, uh, involved in other contact. I don't know if it was his fault or others. Ferrucci, same kind of thing. He was on his way to. Top 10 before getting caught up. Oh, Rosenquist. We didn't talk about Rosenquist. So starts from the pole, loses the pole, loses the, the top spot pretty quickly with Pelot motoring along. And had we not had a lot of cautions, Pelot was going to check out like last year and just motor away until things got off sequence. And then eventually Fro gets caught up. What The first one was Erickson. Correct. And- Turn two. Yeah, and Marcus also got him at Mid Ohio earlier this year, and I know they're 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 buddies, so that's uncomfortable in that circumstance. But you know, I guess unfortunately, it seems appropriate for Felix. That's the way it ends there, fast. And I'm not going to say he always had bad luck. He made some mistakes himself. He would be the first to admit that. But, but for one reason or another, about eighty percent of the time, it did not go well. It's just funny the races he has started on pole. He it seems like you know he finishes down near the twenties. Uh, 
I think about Texas. I think about this this one. So these two this year, but he's had like what three polls, and, and like he didn't have anything to show for any of those those particular races. But uh, you know, this is going to be a good fresh start for him to go to Meyer Shank and and lead the program and you know feel the love. And it, you know, I don't know if he'll have as fast of a car. He's always been fast, though. You know, always coming up through the through the system. You know, that's one of the things I always heard about Felix is, you know, and I think one of the first guys I heard talk about him was Scott Dixon, you know, at, at length about, you know, what kind of a race car driver he was and just always fast. You know, I mean, that's something we hear so frequently with Felix, and I hope it really goes well for him at Meyer Shank. But, uh, you know, just another difficult weekend for him. You know he gets he gets hit in turn two by by Erickson and uh, looks like it flattens his tire and he doesn't doesn't isn't able to continue with that and it's just kind of one thing after another in this particular race for Fro. Talked about Newgarden. He's involved in the early contact and was immediately uh, a lap down. And then he goes out in a wounded car. Uh, they hadn't finished the repairs and spins there, so he soldiers home. Others that. Maybe could have, should have won, or could have been a factor. Colton Herta. So he goes to the back early. He got caught out. He was about to pit when a caution came out and was going to run out of fuel. Had to take emergency service, which means you need to come in again. So he's in the back. But then the caution came out at the right time for him later, and he's on that Dixon-Armstrong strategy to where he's going to race for the podium. And then he gets hit, and then I think his gearbox was struggling as well at the same time as, as what I had heard, but he was fast. That's kind of appropriate for their season. Same thing with Kyle Kirkwood involved at the beginning and, and he runs fast laps when he comes back, uh, came back onto the track. And then we'll talk about Devlin DeFrancesco in the leader circle coming up a little bit later on. That's going to take a little more time to uncover all of those scenarios out of that. Uh, Graham Rahal had a good line. I've seen the doctors and the medical staff more than I have my wife this season. He spent a lot of time there getting checked in the infield care center. So it was certainly eventful, and I'm sure we missed some things to cover well, there in that I, situation. I, I would say quickly that that I really wanted to see your Vips and Graham Rahal yeah. race. They've been strong on the road courses here of late, and Vips, you know, gets collected, and Graham can't understand what happened to Yuri why they ping pong through the uh through the through the carnage and um you know there was just it's really difficult to tell where it all starts it's kind of an accordion effect you had contact with Lundgaard getting across the the inside line and then bumping into McLaughlin and everybody checks up and then it's it's then it's really no one's fault in particular but somebody has to take the blame and and so you know, you get fingers pointed and so forth. But Vips and, and Graham, I thought, would have good cars and and didn't ever got to show them. Still much to cover. We'll preview hour number two and some of the other topics ahead coming up. Trackside 93.5-1075, The Fan. Hi, this is Pato Award, and you're listening to Trackside. All right, before we look ahead to what's coming up next hour, I uh, wanted to mention the Indy Next Championship. We were pretty certain it was going to go to Christian Rasmussen. Uh, he had a very comfortable lead and all but clinched it in race number one and then dominated race number two. So Rasmussen joins Kyle Kirkwood as the only drivers to win scholarships at all three levels. 
He did it in a four-year span, so very impressive work for the young Danish driver who won with Jay Howard's team in USF 2000, and then it was called Indy Pro 2000, and now with HMD Motorsports in Indy Next. We'll talk in the next hour about maybe some of his options. Hunter McElray won race one, finished uh, second in race two. He's second in the championship. Nolan Siegel, the top rookie, he's racing this weekend as well. I think, Nolan, I need to start getting on this because I'm doing these broadcasts, but I believe Nolan is in the WeatherTech race as a late ad and is also in the Michelin Pilot Challenge race this weekend as well. So he finished third, and Louis Foster was fast all year, finished fourth. Jacob Abel comes home in fifth. We'll talk more about that level as the season progresses. We'll get Christian on the show soon. Uh, We'll get Miles Rowe and Simon Sykes, two other champions, on the show soon as well. If you need some content, uh, watch the second Indy Next race from the weekend. We had Miles in the booth with us. Very thoughtful young man, kind of getting into his story. Very unique. Headed up to, you know, this next level, still below IndyCar, already a college graduate. So that was a fun conversation, having Miles in the booth with us. Speaking of Christian... Uh, He is one of those that is going to be joining us at our Battle on the Bricks prelude to get IMSA weekend started off this weekend. One of the reasons we moved this event to this weekend is I like the Indianapolis Motor Speedway having events and whatever little platform I have, which I admit is small, want to try to promote this event uh, and, and make sure people are coming to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway to see IMSA. So we will do a kickoff party at Prime 47 downtown on thursday night brought to you in part by dozers nuts and bolts secrets global tesco the grant collective and more it's six to nine you can buy tickets at the door uh there is a link on my twitter or at fourcheckmarketing.com and it's spelled like a hockey four check f-o-r-e check m-k-t-g.com and then slash events and some other things or just send me a note and I'll get you the link for that. But you can buy them at the door as well. There will be free Prime 47 food. Not a sit-down dinner, but really good stuff. And drinks from the the drink partners, Black Dog Brewing Company, West Fork Whiskey. Uh, we'll have Danica Rosé, courtesy of Danica Patrick. 20 beverages and plenty more. Rasmussen is among the drivers that are going to be there. Nolan said he's going to try to come. A few IndyCar drivers think they will be there. Uh, I do believe Jack Hawksworth and Ben Barnacote are confirmed from Vassar Sullivan Lexus, along with some other sports car drivers. So it'll be a lot of fun. Clayton Anderson is going to play again. And some of the auction items that we have. So I picked up a race car today. There is a tub in my garage from Cape Motorsports. We got it squared away. Oliver Askew and Kyle Kirkwood are going to share part of it if we split it in half. Uh, because they live a mile apart, so that could be a good wall decoration. Uh, Maybe we'll talk about it. If somebody really wants it for a sim center, we can do that as well. But we got a lot of cool stuff. They're going to be there. Sweet tickets to the Indy 500 next year. Autograph Pato Award, McLaren hats and jerseys, Scott McLaughlin, Marcus Erickson canvas, uh, Lucas Oil School of Racing certificate, a Reese Nichols item valued at over $1,500, Golf passes to the Brickyard, Fast Times Indoor Karting, passes and more. All, if you join us in person, 
Thursday night from 6 until 9 at Prime 47 downtown. Next hour, we talk about Leader Circle, who made it, and the wild scenario involved that. Latest on Silly Season and more on Trackside. Hi, this is Joseph Newgarden, and you're listening to Trackside. Hour number two, Eddie Garrison is in the studios on The Circle. Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan, thanks for staying with us as we continue to recap the end of the season for IndyCar. We'll get into what to expect in the early part of the offseason and more coming up. Uh, We talked about the championship last week. That was already decided. The biggest thing, I guess we'd also say, and I know you touched on this, the other big thing in the championship I felt was who finished third. And Scott McLaughlin is able to leapfrog uh, from fifth to third because of the trouble that Joseph Newgarden has early in the race. Joseph wouldn't be drawn into that conversation. I would ask him, you know, how much does it matter? And he would just kind of shrug his shoulders. But McLaughlin was very open and, oh, yeah, it matters. I want to be the top Chevy. I want to be tops on Team Penske. And I want to be better than I was last year. And he did that. Well, the last four years... Uh, probably going back to the championship season, the second one that Joseph Newgarden had, he had finished four. He had finished the last four seasons in second place in the championship, so it did matter. I don't, I can't construe any way that it didn't matter to him. Now, maybe because one, he's he's cool and he tries. He also to be, told me he there was no extra pressure on him to win the Indy 500 before the race, and exactly. then you see his reaction after the race. So, yeah, I get that. He's just not going to be uh, transparent in that circumstance. Well, you don't want to put yourself out there if you continue to never win the Indy 500. You yeah. don't want to act like that's creating internal pressure, but we know yep. it is. And he admitted as much once he won the race how much that had been building up. And I think if he would have finished, you know, it's. And there's part of me that that thinks, you know, if you're as good as Joseph Newgarden is, you don't want to be drawn into the conversation of, yes, I'm fighting for third. I mean, that's not yep. who you are. You don't want to be, yep. you know, McLaughlin's on his way up in the series. And so it does matter to him. And he doesn't have the Indy 500 wins that his two teammates have. And he doesn't have the championship that his two teammates have. The two championships, in fact, for each. So it does matter to Scott more than it does to Joseph. And I think the other thing in play is we're talking about a teammate here and somebody that, you know, we spend a lot of time working on social media and building bus bros. And, you know, there's a little bit of let's all right. I don't really want to pick a too big of a battle with with Scott McLaughlin. And so I get all that. So, again, you're trying to lay low a little bit on this, but it had to matter. It had to matter to Joseph to be number one at Team Penske. Points are, you know, the thing is, if you were if you were to sit both of them down as they do on one of their shows and you could really get them to be honest, if if you ask him, would I rather finish third in a championship or win four races? I think they each would take I'd rather win four races. Now, the Indy 500 goes without saying, but I think they would both take I'd rather win four races than finish third. I think so. I was chatting with Kyle Kirkwood about that, and he was hoping to be up higher in the championship. Somebody said something to him about great season. He was like, eh, you know, we're ninth or whatever it was. And I said, yeah, but you won two races. Wouldn't you rather be ninth with two wins than six with one or or fifth with none? And he said, yeah, probably, yeah, yeah. You know, maybe top three in the championship 
is the separator there, but certainly anything below that, it's all down to wins. That's what matters to partners. That's what gets people excited, and he was able to do that. So the other end of the spectrum, oh, one last, one last thing up. Maybe, maybe someone knows this. We can get help and either get it on this week or next. Marty mentioned that Pato Awards said if he finished fourth in the championship, he gets his super license. I thought I heard someone else say he just missed out on his super license by not finishing third. He missed by just a few points. And I thought, so I don't know how that works. So if anyone knows whether Pato uh, is now eligible, because he's going to be testing the Formula One car later on in the year. You know, I know that's a big deal to him and you'd like to have it. I don't really see a path, even with Palo being out of the way. I'd be really surprised if that happens for him, unless he just wows people. And if I'm him, it would matter because maybe he does wow someone in free practice one testing in the couple of chances that he gets. The other race, which pays in many ways as much as the championship does, is for the revenue sharing part of the program, like other sports do, and this is called the leader circle. Many years ago, IndyCar um, significantly reduced per race prize money, and the teams requested this because they could work better on budgets by knowing here's what we're going to have and we can budget for this at the beginning of the season. And the teams that are winning as much aren't as concerned about that as some of the teams that are not winning. So it's, it's kind of sharing the wealth and it's uh, worth uh, somewhere around a million, maybe slightly less than that these days. And the cutoff going into the final race was very tight. Ed Carpenter's 20 car. Uh, was up 13 points on the final spot. Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan's 30 was up six points. Andretti's 29 was up three. Meyer Shank's 60 was down three. Hunkos Hollinger's 78 was minus five. When the race ended, we thought the 29 of Devlin DeFrancesco had that final spot. Um, the 20 was safely in because Ryan Hunter Ray finished 10th in the race. And then the next spot was going to go to, wait a minute, let me find my entry points here. The next spot was going to go to the 78 car because Augustine Canapino had a really solid day, even by slipping a little bit at the end. And then it was separated. It was actually going to be a tie. Between the 29 and the 30, but the 29, I think it said, was going to get tiebreaker out of that. Do you I know this? I think the tiebreaker was highest finish during the season. And Devlin had a higher finish in the 29 car than any of the finishes for the 30 car. Devlin's best finish was 12th. And I believe Jack Harvey's best finish was 13th. It I believe that's accurate. Was, did anybody do better in that car? Connor finished 16th. Uh, Yuri Vips did not finish better than that. So that was the circumstance. It was going to be a tie. Devlin was having... One of his best races was racing well uh, and got hit from behind at some point, damaged his gearbox, struggling, just trying to stay on track. And this was 
you know, just a race of attrition at that point. And he got black flagged for being too slow. Uh, and then I don't know if he pitted once, went back out again, came down again towards the end of the race. And they wouldn't let him leave the pit box because he wasn't maintaining a proper speed. They still thought they were going to be okay because he was ahead of Joseph Newgarden and Newgarden was not going to be able to make a lap back up. And you are apparently credited with finishing the lap if you pull in. This is what I gathered from Nathan Brown's Indianapolis Star story, who documented it pretty well. You are credited with that lap. If you roll into pit lane at the end of the race, so they thought they had it. But since Joseph Newgarden stayed on track, and I guess they didn't learn this until like an hour, and maybe it was even changed, Newgarden took the checkered flag on track, so he is scored, which kind of makes sense, scored ahead of him, and that one point is the difference in that. And then the other side of that is Yuri Vips, was involved in the crash at the start of the race. And they're thrashing back there. I see my buddy Derek Davidson back there leading the charge right at the pit break, trying to get that car back out on track. And we're thinking, well, it's to get Yuri Vips some track time because he's still trying to learn. They finished. Kyle Kirkwood was the same situation, just getting back on track because that what is what you do. So they both spent a lot of laps in the garage, went back out and ran to the end. Yuri Vips program and the 30 Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan team got his car back out on track six laps earlier than the Kirkwood car. So they beat him by six laps, 24 laps down, but that was one point. And he was in the last position. 24th is the last position that doesn't score the minimum five. 24th scores six. That was the difference maker once Devlin Francesco was moved behind Joseph Newgarden, and he lost a point in that scenario. So the other thing, so this is a million dollars, roughly, and it may be more. I've heard talk that that maybe it'll be increased next year, but so let's just think about a million dollars helping a team's budget. But, and this takes a little bit of, of thinking, and you'll have to bear with me, but in addition to Devlin DeFrancesco's car not earning the million dollars for 2024. As I understand the rule book on the leader circle program is they were grandfathered at Andretti Autosport four cars at the start of the program when they made the adjustment because they had been running four cars all along when other teams were not. So all four of those cars were eligible for the leader circle program so long as they stayed in the top 24 or top 22. And now that they have fallen out, to me, as the way I understand it, that falls off the books now. That fourth car is not guaranteed in the future. I have wondered about that, that you could you get back in and still be eligible since you did fulfill the requirements and compete in every race? I've not dug deep into this. I've asked no one with the league, but I asked someone with that impacted team. And and again, I did, it wasn't Michael Andretti. It wasn't Rob Edwards. So they would probably have a better idea on that. But their thinking was, yep, if we lose it, we cannot get it back. So that's, yeah, not just... 
around a million this year. It's around a million in perpetuity. And now it makes things simple. No one will have more than three cars eligible in the leader circle franchise. If that is to be true, that would need to be confirmed. You may bring up a good point. Nathan wrote that it might go up to 1.3. I don't know if that meant for next year leading towards 24 or if they could pump that into these teams. Uh, I'm sorry, next year going into 25 or if that could be pumped into the 24 budgets. That is to be determined. But um, that's a double wow. whammy. Double, yeah, du- double whammy. And and that's one of the cars. Maybe we'll go to the where we see things at the silly season at this point. That's one that is definitely on the TBD. And a lot of people just chatter in the paddock was, well, if they win that leader circle, it's going to run. But if it doesn't, it probably won't. And that one point might determine it. And it, it might have run in a partnership because we've seen that happen in the past where someone had a leader circle and then it became a partner with a new team that wanted to come in just to, to get those points. We've seen those. I think Brian Herta has been involved in both sides of that at different times over the years. So now I don't know, you know, now it just means you need another million dollars in budget. It, it takes the way you'd love to do it. You want $10 million is what you want to run a championship level program you can do it on five or six, but that that's kind of your minimum. So now you need a minimum of $4 million just to start with to be on the grid next year. Um, and now it's five, right? Because yeah. you would have had a million already. So that's an extra million dollars. That is minimum 20%. Well, I guess you would say maximum 20% of the budget goes less if you're trying to raise $8 million or so. I don't have a name for you for the 29. If that were to run, um, my guess is if it runs, it's more likely coming from someone well-regarded in the F2 world. I've heard the Drugovich name mentioned who won the F2 championship last year that he might be over here in one of the circumstances. So what do we have left open at this point? We have the Ed Carpenter racing 20. Um, I think that's wide open right now. I would give Christian Rasmussen a look at that. Uh, I mean, I would give him a consideration. I would imagine Ed is considering him. I would imagine Hunter McElray has been talking to him. Those are you know, the top two guys in the Indy Next Championship. I would give Romain Grosjean a chance there. I have two... I think potential landing spots in IndyCar for a Grosjean. I could see, and I, I talked to Todd Alt this weekend a bit now. Where yeah, I don't know how much of this was on the record, so I don't know how much I want to say, but I'll just say this. I think there's a good chance. He said nothing is done, um, but I'm going to let him, if something happens, get into the details of that. That would be his announcement. But I think there is a good chance he continues with Ed Carpenter. Um I know we all know that everyone is going to be inquiring with Todd because he has his logos with Bitnile on a lot of cars. So it's not done, but it sounds like it's really moving in the right direction to continue a relationship with Todd Alt. And I think there's a scenario where you see Bitnile on another car 
which has been rumored. So I asked him about that, and I won't say the name that he mentioned to me, um, but it's just out there. But but I feel good about that. And I could see, and I did not ask Todd about a driver who he prefers, but Romain Grosjean is going to get your brand attention. And if, if it's a funded car, that's what he needs. He needs a funded car and someone who cares about seeing my car being talked about. And Grosjean, good, bad, or indifferent, normally makes the TV show, doesn't he? He does. And he also makes, he has global reach, or at least yeah. outside the U.S. You know, I know that there are other drivers, you know, Linus Lundquist, Christian Lungard, you know, go on down the list, but they don't have the, the, the cachet that Grosjean has. They they just don't. I mean, they're 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 popular to some degree in their country, and I don't begin to understand the depths of that. But we know what Grosjean is to, you know, the people who follow Formula One and race fans across Europe. And it's it's impressive. So um, you know, if if Bitnile that that feels like a Grosjean possibility. Possibility. The other possibility is Dale Coyne racing, where he did well. Um, I've heard two different stories there. One was that it's going to be Daniel Frost in one car, who I don't have the final. Actually, I do have the final standings somewhere nearby. He finished sixth in the Indy Next Championship, won a race at the beginning of the year and had a few podiums. and. Uh, has done well. I think we all, including Daniel, expected a little bit better this year, but he tested well with him next year. I don't know what the level of his budget is, but that is always a consideration in this circumstance. I heard Devlin D. Francesco's name mentioned there as well by many people, and that's not new. That's been mentioned before, and to the point where a few weeks ago, that, that was my best guess, and then I started hearing, not, not so fast, they're still very much involved in significant conversations with other teams, potentially Foyt, potentially Ray Hall, Letterman Lanigan, potentially Ed Carpenter racing. Uh, so that's all up in the air. I do believe this. As of a couple of days ago, I don't think Devlin has decided or has been official, maybe not even been officially invited. I don't think anything is done is the better way to describe that. But that's my best guess there, but that is not a bold prediction because I do think there are some other possibilities where that ends up. I also believe that he and Roman get along pretty well, and that potentially could be part of the package and could help uh, that because Grosjean doesn't bring budget. So, you know, there's going to be other – the other driver, I think, is going to be a consideration in if Grosjean ends up there. If you're Dale Coyne, um, Devlin is more in position to be a team leader in year number three. He's seen how it's done with a top team. And I wonder if there's something to it. I think that'd be demoralizing when, you know, you're getting better, but then you're trying to keep track with Alexander Rossi before. And now Kyle Kirkwood and Colton Herta and all of the other talents. Uh, Grosjean, uh, you know, a podium winner in Formula One. You're trying to measure yourself with them. It might be better just to be the best on a different team. Uh, so we'll, we'll see where that ends up. But that's one of the scenarios in play there. And, you know, Dale Coyne always has other options involved. So don't be surprised if if we hear about a top F2 driver because they saw what Grosjean did their first year in the series. They are good with rookies. Uh, I think Dylan Welch. I did not talk to Larry Foyt or Santino this weekend, but Dylan reported on the air 
that both Larry and Santino said they are very close, not done, but very close to continuing with him in the 14 car. And Benjamin Peterson has a contract for next year. So the four uh, 55 car uh, is likely to continue. And I say contract because we all know now that contracts could change and there could be a mutual change, but I suspect that's what's going to happen in that case. So, Oh, and the 30 car. I don't think it's done for Yuri Vips. I'm sure they like him, and he showed he was fast. He qualified very well. It was impressive in practice. I would imagine they kind of wanted to see what the reaction was with Yuri, and I'm not hearing a lot of chatter about that. He seems like a very pleasant uh, and respectable young man. You know, I know that doesn't tell the whole story. You need to spend more than 10 minutes with somebody to get a sense on that. But I, I would imagine this was a trial basis, not only for his performance, but also just to see what the reaction was from the partners. But I know the other drivers in the paddock are still approaching that. Like the 30 is not done yet. That is still a potential landing spot there. So doesn't it surprise you knowing that, you know, when we start getting a sense for the Penske Foyt, new dynamic in play. And for those that missed it, they now are going to have an alliance where they're going to work together on equipment and make decisions together. Doesn't it seem strange that, that, um, and no disrespect to the people involved, but doesn't it seem strange that if Penske were going to be involved with Foyt to some degree that the driver lineup wouldn't change? I, I just have a, I just don't know that that's where I would have expected, you know, status quo to con- to be. And with that, some people have wondered if that's where, in fact, it was another young driver um, vying for these seats. Say, I think Christian Rasmussen will be with Foyt. Penske is paying for part of this, so they'd like to go ahead and start that relationship there. But that's not enough budget. And Santino doesn't bring enough budget for the full program. Somebody's got to be in one of those cars that brings significant budgets. Yes, they have sponsors. Sexton Properties has been awesome. They still have ABC Supply for the Indy 500 and other partners involved. But Benjamin Peterson's sponsorship is more. So I don't think a San, I don't know how a Santino Ferrucci and Christian Rasmussen partnership works. So if it's that, it really has to be in the 14 car in place of Santino. I'd be surprised. Although I I said this on the show last week, there are some people kicking around the idea of expanding because they want to have essentially the franchise before the franchise fee comes in. If that happens, that is being discussed of a type of franchising or a more solidified leader circle program. And then to get in, uh, you know, Ricardo Junco's can't just buy a car and show up and enter the race. It would be like NASCAR. He would have to buy a charter, and they would call it something different, I'm sure, but that would be the scenario. So there has been thought that if, you know, if we could find some budget, and it would probably be on the Chevy side, because I would imagine that Honda is full. Maybe room for one more. If Andretti drops down by one, there is going to be room for another Honda. So... Does Ganassi run Kiffin Simpson next year? Does he do another year in Indy next? Does Dale Coyne run a third? Does somebody else do something in that regard? Um, 
And as far as the drivers, let me I pull up the Twitter here because I know someone asked about a couple of the drivers. One specifically was, do we see any landing path for Connor Daly? Uh, you know, I would think one that could have been a possibility and could be a possibility would be A.J. Foyt, um, especially with the Penske relationship that maybe there's something there. He did really well with Dale Coin Racing. Maybe there's a scenario there where it's not asked to be, you've got to find $6 million. you got to find a little bit, and certainly Connor is very likely to have a little bit. And by the way, I think it's still very possible that Bitnile helps support Connor Daly as well. That's not the other driver I was talking about. You know, I, I think they, he might kind of spread it around. He just title sponsored a race. The um, They obviously think IndyCar works for them. Uh, and the more drivers you represent, the better chance you have to get airtime and to have brand ambassadors with that. And if nothing else, Connor's going to drive four races next year as a fill-in because he's yeah. the best available. <laughs> He'll be he'll be the fill in, and certainly when they get to the end of the season and they need to make the leader circle program, they would consider mm-hmm. him on the ovals. So, so I I don't see a, a spot for Connor at this point. I I don't see it. I don't see him returning to Foyt. He did he did spend time there. That that would surprise me. Um, but you know it's it, it, I think Rasmussen. I go back to Ferrucci. I was surprised at Dylan Welch's report. Not that. I wouldn't hire Santino because I would, but I thought that you know maybe the third car that's that's how it comes to be that they they are able to keep Ferrucci and bring in somebody young like Rasmussen. Maybe that's the path. Santino Ferrucci finished third in the Indy Five Hundred. Oh, they... I'd, I'd run him at the Indy Five Hundred for sure. Well, for that team, that's the race that matters, and they can kind of use that all season long he has more value with their guests because hey here's santino ferrucci he finished third in the indy 500 last year and should be fast again next year has finished up front every year that is not a fluke that is and and by the way i think all things considered he's done well they have so much catching up to do as we talk about often i think they're getting better but so is everyone else. So you've got to get another percentage better than they are just to keep track, just to jumpstart anyone else. So, you know, I think that's the enthusiasm. And they have legitimate partners. They're not just asking for drivers to bring budget. And I've not asked anyone on this, but I know in the other places they've been, sponsors love Santino Ferrucci. And that goes a long way. And if that's the case there... They're probably saying, well, wait a minute, you're going to bring in who? I don't know who this is. I know who Santino Ferrucci is, and he lights up a room. And my wife likes his hair, and you know, and he's fast, and he's he gets television time. Dale Jr. loves him. So he's good, guaranteed to get Indy 500 coverage time. So that that's part of the process with Ferrucci involved there. Um, hasn't gone well for Benjamin. We knew it was going to be tough in year number one. You know, let's see what year number two does. And in you know what the why people are kind of speculating on that, they I think they wonder, could this be a mutual decision? All I can go is what everyone is saying on the record. It's the Peterson side, driver and his dad say, We're coming back. Larry Foyt says we are coming back. But they'll probably talk again in the offseason. 
And if there is another option for both parties, they might consider something else. But I don't know a lot of other options. So the the, the contract is going to be probably what matters in this circumstance. So the other team that you didn't mention where we could have some movement, but we'd like to think that there will be continuity is Hunko's Hollinger Racing. Now, I I had a chance to talk to Augustine the other day, and we probably talked for 10 minutes. I understood about four minutes of it uh, <laughs> just because it was a phone call and he's uh, his English is better. <laughs> it's not great. But anyway, I, I'm joking about that. But he said, look, it's look, I got work to do and we got work to do to find the funding. And yeah. and I don't know that it's going particularly well on the economy side in Argentina. And, you know, they got work to do. So I hope that continues. I hope Callum Eilat, you know, turns out that that's where he stays. And and he's been optimistic about the program advancing. So I hope, you know, I hope we see some continuity there. But I don't know that that's guaranteed. So that's probably the other one where we should mention, especially these drivers that have budget. I was about to get the drivers at some point, but obviously Devlin Francesco has some budget. Um, Benjamin Peterson has some budget. Stingray Rob apparently has some significant budget. So all of those could be landing spots for those drivers. You know, I would put Rasmussen, who has some, maybe can gather some more, especially with the momentum. And there is a sales department with each of these teams that could look into that. So that that's kind of what I've gathered, too, that it's going – he wants to bring back Augustine Canapino. Ricardo Junkos does, but it's got to be paid for. And if not, then they have to look at someone that that brings something. And the Calamilot circumstance, I think that's where he's staying. But I don't, I don't even know if there will be a press release because it was announced last year as a multi-year contract. But there's there's clearly an option. There's clearly an option that needs to be picked up, and maybe there's even an option that allows Ilot to leave at some circumstance. But I believe Callum told Marty Snyder this weekend that it's 99% done in that regard. I don't know that Ricardo Junkos was that definitive on that. I think he was more measured and we need to see how some things go. And there's, you know, been speculation about um, Chevy teams working together. Does some, does McLaren work together with a Junkos? Um, so those are the other ones out there drivers that's harder there's a lot of drivers uh, the question I had on Twitter referencing Connor was from William Martin is there any realistic landing spot for Daly maybe it's going to be tough he knows that but but maybe I would not count him out at this point he said could Andretti could he be an Andretti ad I kind of doubt it uh, I think that's going to take a little bit of budget or someone that they you know that has tremendous upside that would be you know an f2 champion or something that they think hey this is the next can't miss that we are going to invest in and then he asks his vips going to win the rll spot i think that's my guess but as i said before i don't believe it's done brian campbell asked do you think there's a chance rossi will slide into the sixth car next year with a more experienced team. Um, I would hope, I would think that he stays in the seven car, 
Could they move some six personnel if they feel that's better? They they could. Every team makes some switches. You know, how did that go in year one? He was in the seven car because he wanted Craig Hampson. That was part of the deal to come to Errol McLaren. How did that work? I don't know. I, you know, he didn't do as well as I'm sure he hoped. I wouldn't say he did awful. They knew there were going to be teething pains in year one. Plus, not only year one for him with a new team, it was a new program, uh, as referenced in in the question. But now that team has some experience. But if if they don't feel like that meshed, then they may flip flop engineers in that case and send Craig somewhere else. Uh, it's a different engineering dynamic. It has to be. It, it's great to have all those resources. But I I often wonder, you know, for engineers that have been around for a long time, worked the way they wanted to work and just made unilateral decisions, I have to guess when you're at McLaren, it takes a little while because you've got an idea and then you've got to run it through to the UK and they do their simulations and so forth. I would imagine that's a process. So... I've not spoken to Craig in a long time or the other engineers there, but just in general, that's just a general thought that that seems to be different. And and, and I also think a team like Penske does things different than other people. I've heard drivers reference that, that, you know, hey, we know our cars are good. Um, we want your input on this, but we're going to do things a certain way. And there have been engineers that have moved on from there that said, that's just not really the way I like to operate. They do things great, but I like doing things a different way. So it's a good question, but yeah, there is always an opportunity to do a shakeup. Uh, and and they're going to have, I'm sure, some announcements with management in the near future. You know, Billy Vincent was one of their team managers, and he's moving on. So they'll be restructuring, doing different things. Maybe Brian Barnhart takes on a different level. Who knows? They may be hiring someone else from somewhere else. Uh, what else? How long has this segment been going? I think we probably need to step away for just a moment. We'll come back and we'll talk about what we know about the schedule, including a relatively surprise announcement over the weekend for something to help fill our time in March. It's Trackside 93.5-1075 The Fan. Hi, this is Mark Erickson, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. 2023 is done. Never too soon to talk about 2024. We don't have a schedule yet, but we've got some information. We already knew that the season was going to start on the March 10th weekend at St. Petersburg. That was previously announced at some point when an extension was announced for that. Uh, We've got some guesses on other things. You can find references. There are other dates out there. I know Long Beach has been posted before. They always announce the date in years past and uh, you know, we know when the Indy 500 is and the GP and Detroit and some other things. But then something new, uh, an announcement on Sunday morning about uh, sort of an all-star race. Sort of. <laughs> it's a it's a million dollar challenge is what they're calling it for now, because it doesn't actually have a, a formal name, but uh, or it may not be what we know it as come March. But. They're offering a big prize to run at the Thermal Club in a abbreviated, well, maybe not abbreviated. Maybe we should say a, a, a new structure of of procedure to qualify drivers and teams uh, for the, the big show on Sunday the 24th. 
and we don't haven't seen a format exactly, but there might be a heat race and, you know, or heat races that qualify cars a limited number to make the finals. And then, you know, there's still a lot to be determined on this, but largely a made for TV type event on the 24th. So that'd be the 22nd, 23rd and 24th of, of uh, March. And I say made for TV because as we know, and we've learned from the thermal club going there in spring training in 2023, that they're not built for, you know, 30,000 people. It's going to be a, a limited number of people. I do expect there to be some some tickets available in some form. Maybe that's just to partners. Maybe that's to – I think there will be some non-thermal club spectators on hand, but I don't expect that's what it I've to been be – I don't think it's going to be a big number. I mean, yeah. if you had three or 4,000, uh, it might be a special invite to, again, special – clients and customers they may give i could see them doing like some some fan giveaways some you know some 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 things to get some special attention and make it kind of a hot ticket or a special ticket during the course of a season but there won't be an open i don't expect there to be an open uh website where anyone could just buy a ticket it'll be more of a tv event or maybe it's a lottery uh so be I've been told there is going to be some sort of a grandstand or grandstands brought in. Uh, certainly the members are going to to be allowed uh, guests, and that's up from what the test was last year, I think. And this is all – so this all came together, I think, pretty recently, in part because I think at BC said, hey, we've got an extra window here. Do you have a race available for this date? And so this is an NBC event. This is not on Peacock. This is NBC with some other things that'll be on Peacock throughout the weekend that are still to be determined. So that's why I don't think we have everything. And, you know, ideally the schedule would have been announced at at this weekend. I don't think that's anything crushing. In some ways, I don't mind. I know we love to wrap up the season and say, hey, this is what's coming up next for next season. But in some ways, I think it's could be debated we need news and we need content for the next four or five months. So let's wait another three weeks to do the schedule. And by the way, for example, if Milwaukee does get finalized, everyone on and off the record is saying we expect it, but no one has said a hundred percent it's going to happen. But if that does, does get done, announce it there. They've done that for new events in the past. Um, and then there are a couple of others that still need to be buttoned up. On the schedule, you don't want to announce things until you have signed contracts, so that plays into to things there, as far as that's concerned. And and then I'll lead into a tweet here, and then uh, get to some other things. Lynn, formerly the Spurs fan, says or asks, "Wow, so many negative comments on the Thermal Club, a million dollar challenge on social media sites. I'm a huge fan of it because I understand the business of racing." Uh, here are the reasons why I like it. The race will fill a gap during the beginning of the year. Lynn says this. Million dollar challenge shows IndyCar is growing by having a race like the NASCAR All Star Race and great way to introduce new owners. TV ratings have been amazing this year. I know there is international coverage for the IndyCar website, but never see those numbers. What is the worldwide audience on an average weekend race and the 500? That's a separate one. I don't know. Um, this is an American-based series, so those numbers matter, but maybe the reason you haven't seen a number there is because they're not staggering numbers. We we want 
IndyCar to be available to fans in all countries, and it all helps. But I don't know generally that those numbers spread around. If you added them all up, that'd be a good number. I'd love to know what the total number is on that. But in each individual country, they're probably not super big. Where it really helps the series is in their social media, um, you know, numbers and, you know, the, the activity. You know, you may have a limited number of people. Let's just as an example in Sweden, but those those Swedes are very engaged in the sport. So the social media numbers have really taken a climb with some popular drivers uh, from different parts of the world. I know that to be true. So I was not aware, as Lynn writes, that there was that much negative reaction to this. Uh, The people on my Twitter X timeline have not complained about it. So I'll take your word for that, I saw Mark Glendening wrote something, though, similar today, uh, mentioning that there's been a lot of backlash. Um, yeah, I, I get it. We all like to complain and say, well, it's good, but we should have done this. Here's the way I look at it. It's not going to cost me anything. It's not going to cost you, Kurt, anything. It's not going to cost anyone listening anything unless my friend Don Cusick is listening. And then maybe it costs him something. Because I think some of the thermal members are sharing in the expense of this by buying in to be participants. That's where the prize money is coming out of this. So I like IndyCar racing. I like it when I can attend. I like it when I can watch it on television. I know it's not ideal that we can't go to it. But you know what? If I'm not working this event... I'm probably not going to be able to afford the trip to Palm Springs anyway, and I'm most of us are not going to every single event. So this is no different than a race in Brazil or in Tokyo when we watched or whatever. It's an extra race to help fill a gap, which was much complained about. So that's good. It's not a points-paying race. Uh, you could get into that debate, but one thought might be, you know, we want to see how this track races. We're not planning pit stops. That'd be very different. Um, who knows? Who knows all the circumstances there? A race is a race. We'll enjoy it. There will be some testing to start off the weekend. You could do something creative. I'm fine with it, and we'll go from there. Well, I think, you know, the creation of content gives us something to to talk about, to read about, to pay attention to, as you say, at a time of the year where it's already a struggle based on the weather in the U.S., where you can race. Um, would I have preferred a points-paying race at Phoenix? Of course. But, you know, I, I certainly don't want to rule out that that this could be a really good thing. As far as points go, I you know, I do wonder, you know, if you – if you've got if you're not capable of winning this race, do you put the same kind of effort into it? And I think the answer to that is they seem to do okay in NASCAR with an all-star race. Seems to be still pretty competitive. Uh compet- competitors like to compete. And while I might sit here and say if I'm running 15th in an IndyCar race and there's no points to be earned and would I just kind of mail it in the last half of the race cuz I've got a damaged front wing and my gearbox isn't working right? I may just pull off the track. Well, doesn't really happen in NASCAR, although they do have, you know, cer- certainly you drop off and they got more cars to, you know, to start with. But look, let's just see what happens. Let's let's don't judge this one until we've seen it. And and I like the fact it'll be on NBC. It'll be new and fresh with a new kind of push. And I think, you know, one of the things you and I talk about a lot, how does it look on television? And I think 
everything I saw from from the thermal content that was produced and and distributed mostly on social media during the open test, the place looks good on TV and it looks like a place I want it to be at. And, you know, we, we need more of those kind of places. We need to see the boats parked and the, at the yachts, I guess I should say at St. Pete, we need to see the sunshine and the beach and the, and the water at long beach. We need to see the downtown skyscrapers in Toronto. You need to see those kind of things. And I think this will be a really good visual with the mountains and the, and the sunshine. And if anyone asks, well, why isn't it before St. Pete? Maybe the idea for this year is remember there's something brand new coming next year, uh, the hybrid. So it's, there's a lot of work to be done and they want to allow them as much time to get all of these cars transitioned to that, to get the, the hybrid engines. Because right now I think they have two that are, they're going, they're probably more than two, but there are two that are fully going. So this is going to be a process and we're going to have a lot of cars on track at different times over the winter time. So there is going to be testing, but not an official open test, I don't believe. Not in the same circumstances as thermal, but I'm sure that Sebring and then even Barber in late March and all the places where it's warm enough to go, they may even do something at Homestead just to make sure that things work because it's warm enough there. So that will be busy. Paul Ingram says thermal is a brilliant idea. I've said track options between St. Pete and Texas are really very limited. Make sure it's quality Peacock event and we'll get our fill. I live near all of the Car Week events, watched a lot of them on YouTube. I was fine. So thank you, Paul. Um, what else do Were you, we have? Let me, let me ask ahead. you a question. Just You just mentioned this. You don't expect, because this is one of my questions moving forward, would, would IndyCar still have an open test to start the year, that kind of first preseason gathering where everybody's got a chance to, you know, to get content that they need for their various channels, get their photographs taken. And would they do that and have a, have a two or three day session at thermal club if you're just returning in a month? And I don't, that's one of the questions I have, not necessarily for this show, but you no, know, this would, is the only trip to thermal. This, I didn't hear that. So, um, I don't know if I have that on authority, but I'll just say this. I expect this is the only trip to Thermal okay. for this season. Now, I think everyone will be together. You know, Somewhere. Sebring's not big enough. Well, see, the, the short track at Sebring, you do not want 27 cars on. You would need to split that into different groups. So a lot of times they do half one day, half another day. Uh, so then you're just running out of options of where you can go. Could they think about? Renting Coda, which is very expensive to rent, and do something there uh, where it might be warm enough. But those are one of the things that, and all is subject to change, that we're looking at at this point. But mostly it's about we got to make sure the hybrids are working and and then get the teams to understand how to work them. It's not just about the reliability. It's, no, there are, there are going to be strategic portions to operating this uh, in a competitive fashion to using it to your full advantage that the teams will need to use. The cars will behave, uh, I'm sure, a little bit differently. They're heavier. Different things are involved for this season. Chad Bunch asks, what changed about the restart zone this year at Laguna? I heard Power yelling about the change on his radio, and it seemed the restart dive bombs caused most of the ca cautions. Maybe they could go back to those terrible two wide restarts again for drama. 
They were restarting before the final zone. Were they doing that in the past? I do not recall that being said in our competition meeting. Maybe I missed it. And I'll, I'll be honest, when, when I'm not in the booth, I don't worry as much about things like that. That's Hinch and Townsend's domain, and the play-by-play guy needs to know that as well. It's good to know, but I didn't hear that being said. I don't recall if they were... I thought they started on the main straight last year, but they certainly were starting before that last corner this year. They were starting this race before they got to turn 11. Uh, And I I don't remember them starting back there in the past, but that's one of those things that, you know, a driver needs to know. And, and I don't know that it affects my, my quality of viewing. Uh, So when I'm at a race, I'm, uh, you know, when they start, they start, when they go, they go. And, you know, except for at Indianapolis one time in particular, 1995, we weren't we weren't really overly uh, worried about where the restart zone was until it's until uh, it's a problem. Yep. All right, uh, we'll see what we missed coming up in just a moment, and get you set for the IMSA weekend at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway too. Trackside 93.5107.5 The Fan. This is Alex Palo, and you're listening to Trackside. Final segment, and as our producer Eddie Garrison says, as quick as you can. Because somebody rambled on too long, and that would be me, for the love of Indy, did clear up or points out on the award super license situation. Due to the pandemic, the FIA allowed drivers to count their three highest championship finishes in the previous seasons, previous four seasons, since 20 and 21 were disrupted. Award finished third, fourth, seventh, third the last four years. He has 50 super license points. He also says, I think award qualifies, but the FIA hasn't been clear if that clause has been dropped. So there you go. All right, we're back next Tuesday night at 7 o'clock. So this weekend, you've got Michelin Pilot Challenge, Robert Wickens and company, 4.30 Saturday, four-hour race on Peacock, and the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship on NBC Sunday from IMS at 1. Hope to see you out at the track this weekend. Uh, Singapore for Formula 1. Bristol, it's Bristol, baby. Friday and Saturday night on USA Truck Race on Thursday We'll see you next Tuesday here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.